0: allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing.
1: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
0: Darn right it is. Welcome into the program. It is a Monday, the greatest day of the entire week, and a shortened week with Thanksgiving just a few days away. Can you believe it, man? We are officially there. Thanksgiving is officially here and upon us, and it blows my mind that we are this way, this far through the year. One month ago, one month away until we hit... 2023. Good golly. Welcome into the program. We have a lot to get to today, though. Just because it's getting towards holiday season does not mean that we completely zone out and ignore the fact that there's insanity all around the world. So what what do we do about it? We're right here to keep you covered and posted on all of it. Welcome into the program. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, However you watch or listen to the show, we love you to death, your Millennial General reporting for duty. Coming up, bottom of the hour, we have Lee Shulk. He is the Vice President of Policy at ALEC. For those that don't know what ALEC is, we love them, the American Legislative Exchange Council. We'll talk with Lee Shulk coming up at the bottom of the hour here. We'll talk about not just midterm recaps, but at the state levels on what happened at statewide races in both elections of candidates and some of the policies that we voted on across these states as well. What direction are some of these states going? Uh, Republicans used to dominate near three-quarters of the state legislatures across the nation. That's not the case anymore. We're at like 55 56%. So we still have the majority of state legislators uh, and legislative groups across the country. But that's not as much of a dominance as what we used to have back in the day. What's going on and what kind of policies are we seeing in the grand world that we call the social experiment? of the united states of america so we'll talk with that coming up in just a little bit hopefully you had a great weekend i had a great one myself it was super busy but super productive so i guess i felt really good about that one i mean the big news of the day today of course is the fact that not only is thanksgiving just a few days away but joe biden pardoned the turkeys at the white house i mean is that something that come on we should be excited about that the fact that Joe Biden pardoned the turkeys, two of them, it was um what was it? Tweedled and Tweedledum or whatever they were. I don't know what the turkeys were called. I don't really care. Chips Ahoy. Chips and Ahoy. <laughs> I don't know. They were his favorite flavor of ice cream. That was the name of the turkeys. Cool. Why that's news, I don't know. Why we even do that, I don't know. What I will say, and I say this year, if I were president of the United States. I would be holding it the opposite way. Instead of pardoning a turkey, because I don't understand why you would do that. As far as I'm aware, those are like high end turkeys that cost a lot of money and they're great value and they're really great quality. If I were president of the United States and I had the opportunity to bring some turkeys onto the uh, White House lawn, I would bring Democrats, right? You know, get it, being a turkey. <laughs> Not that I would take, you know, pardon them or anything. What I would do, however, if for real turkeys, not trying to get gruesome here, but for real turkeys, I would actually bring them onto the uh, White House lawn and we would actually cook them on the spot and say, hey, we are celebrating the big turkey day and we're going to cook the turkeys. And then you roast them and you would deep fry them and then you would give them to the media and to everybody that's there and you would have a potluck. We're going to have a potluck on White House grounds by actually cooking the turkey and then actually celebrating Thanksgiving with all of our great friends and family that is the enemy that is the mainstream media. That's if I were president. Wouldn't that be fun? Imagine what the media would do. He's cooking the turkey now. And I would be the one, as president, I would be holding it, dipping it down into the pot of the boiling oil and deep frying the turkey and cooking this bad boy while we talk and we have a great time. We teach them how to drink adult beverages that aren't like hoity-toity things. Like, here's a bush light enjoy it baby man i don't know if the mainstream media would like me all that much as president of the united states but that's okay i don't think a whole lot would anyways so uh there it is happy thanksgiving pre-thanksgiving as we get closer to turkey day coming up just a few days from now as we get closer to the holidays that also means we are getting closer to the transition of power in washington dc so let's get into our what's trending of the day What's trending today? We had Kevin McCarthy, the soon-to-be Speaker of the House, on Fox News over the weekend on Sunday. And this is what he had to say with what his uh, plans are here relatively soon. Well,
1: I was honored to be nominated by the conference and win that vote inside the conference. Now we have to go to the floor. Uh, you're right, Maria. When you look at the last four years since I've been leader, when we first came in, we had less than 200 members. And then the last two cycles, the House Republicans have overperformed the rest of the ticket. We have won in both cycles and the unique thing is we set a goal out I've said it many times on your show to stop the Biden agenda to win the majority and to fire Nancy Pelosi we have just achieved all three of those now our majority we would like to have been higher but they lost in the Senate. They lost the governors. They lost the state house. But in the House of Republicans, we actually won the majority. It's not the size of the gavel. It's the power of the gavel of who holds it. We'll end up with 222 members, exactly the size of what the Democrats have now. But all the work that we want to do, from rolling out the investigations, from rebuilding our economy, from securing our border. None of that can go forward without us moving forward on the floor, having the vote of the speaker, putting the rules in, and working together as one. We will be successful if we work as one team, and it's something I'm trying to do to make sure it's a bottom-up situation inside our conference.
0: He sounds very optimistic, which I know most politicians do because they need to sound optimistic about what their agenda is going to be to try and rally the troops and make things happen. The problem is that you're not going to win all of these agenda items. You can try, you can propose them, but we're going to be sitting in a situation like we did towards the end of the Barack Obama reign, where we have one chamber, maybe two chambers-ish, but right now we have one chamber, where you propose these bills knowing they're not going to go anywhere, to say we need the majority of the other chamber and or the presidency in order for us to move forward with our agenda. And that's all nice and hunky-dory, but will you actually do that when we get the majority, or will we we'd be too uh, diverse and too wide open with the umbrella of republicanism? And as we've mentioned, my concern with Kevin McCarthy being Speaker of the House has been will he be able to stand against the pressure from the Democrats and not cave when it comes to legislation, including an omnibus bill or the federal budget next year or immigration issues or tax issues or budgetary issues to where they're going to promote these ridiculous things and then force him to go along with it or else he is the problem. He's the obstructor. He's not allowing the country to move forward. And that test is starting before he even becomes Speaker of the House. Andy, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. According to Newsmax, Democrats are already pushing bills to try and ram through as much as they can over the next two months before they lose their majority. And they're already pressuring Republicans to get on board with it now so they don't look as, quote unquote, foolish when they take office in January. As according to Newsmax, Democrats are pushing the long shot dreamers bill when it comes to uh, immigration. According to the piece, the Dreamers bill that came as with U.S. children, according to Politico, where legislation to protect Dreamers after the end of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, or DACA, has installed in Congress despite efforts from Democrats and some Republicans. Uh, the National Immigration Law Center says, quote, It's not like what we have five, for five years. The current DACA recipients are in the state of legal limbo, really in fear of the fact that Supreme Court is going to make a final determination that, yep, this thing is unlawful and y'all are out of luck of course, scaring those that are on these programs. And the Democrats, just like they try to do with abortion, are trying to ram through a constitutional amendment to solidify these things and make sure they don't disappear in case the Supreme Court votes and rules against the Democrat agenda. Now, in order for them to do that, they need Republicans to get on board with this. And here comes the first big test for Kevin McCarthy, just months before actually becoming Speaker of the House for the Republican majority. Will the Republicans stay steadfast? and fight policy from Democrats right now, or will they cave and say, let's go ahead and let's pass this? Now, remember, this is how Obamacare got into effect as well, is that it has to pass committees before it gets to the main floor. When Obamacare passed... The committees that were run by Republicans, even though they didn't have a majority in the House of Representatives or the Senate at the time, uh, so they could vote against it there and know it was still going to go through, but show on record that it uh, that they voted against it. They allowed it to go through the committee that was run by Republicans or needed some Republican support in order to go through. Is this what's going to happen with the behind the scenes politics, the back room, the smoke filled, you know, back rooms, whatever, with the leather couches and the fireplace and the sipping on the burned uh, brandy and whatever else they do in Washington, D.C.? Is this the first test that Kevin McCarthy has to go through is by rallying the troops of the Republican Party, even in the back doors, in the behind the closed doors uh, to allow them to go through committee because they can vote against it right now. And say, we didn't have anything to do with it. We didn't allow it. We didn't want this to happen, but we were outnumbered. There's nothing we could do. And they could play that card. But that also means that they have to play that card behind the scenes as well in the different committees that it goes through in the first place. So the first big test for Kevin McCarthy, will he stand firm or... As he talks about the diversity of the Republican Party, trying to find a wide cabinet of different one uh, different individuals in the caucus that try and rally the troops and move forward as a unified party, which sounds great. Let's unify the party, baby. It's very difficult to do. So if you're able to do it, then I applaud you very much. But it takes more than just unifying the party. It's standing up to the Democrats that are bullying you and threatening you with a government shutdown or threatening you with not working together in a harmonious sing kumbaya kind of way, which we don't want to do in the first place with a bunch of crazy socialists, will he stand up to that test of time? Now, here's the other part there. The Democrats are already losing their minds because right now Kevin McCarthy's come out with a few different plans. As you just heard, he talked about wanting to unify the party and promote some type of conservative principles on sealing the border, on trying to get the economy back on track, on trying to get security back in track with law enforcement across the nation. He's already come out with his plans. But at the same time, the second tier of the Republican agenda is starting new investigative committees and removing other investigative committees, which includes... The January 6th committee that is going to go to the wayside and certain Democrats and individuals that will be being removed from committees as well, which there's no shocker here. Let's be very clear. This is how government works in Washington, D.C. Whatever majority party is in power, they're the ones that remove or get to decide who's going to be on committees, which means their party's probably going to have the majority. And this happens every time, whether it's under the Clinton administration, under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The party that's in majority in the chamber gets to decide who's going to be on committees which will be their party because they want their agenda to be promoted. I know it's a wild concept, but that's the reality of it. While the victimization has already been played by the Democrats, as according to Fox News, Ilhan Omar and Eric Swalwell hit Beckett McCarthy over the pledge to block them from certain House committees. How dare they try to get rid of us on certain committees? How dare they don't let us stay on there to promote our socialist agendas? Ilhan Omar, according to Fox News, made the comment, quote, From the moment I was elected, the Republican Party has made it their mission to use fear, xenophobia, Islamophobia, and racism to target me on the House floor and through millions of dollars of campaign ads. You know, because there's a totally different ideological stance, and we're gonna can't, we're gonna fund the opponents against the Democrat. But nonetheless, McCarthy's efforts to repeatedly single me out to scorn of, uh, out, out for scorn and hatred, including threatening to strip me from my committee, does nothing to address the issues of our constituents that they have to deal with. It does nothing to address inflation, health care, or solve the climate crisis. How dare you, evil man, take me from my committee? He went on to say that there's a constant stream of hate from conservatives and Republicans that has led to hundreds of death threats and credible plots against me and my family, end quote. I don't know whether that's true or not. If so, then that's uncalled for and not okay and not cool in any way, shape, or form. But all the rest of it, you're a liar, you're a crazy person, and you need to be off the committees anyways because you don't know what you are doing in Washington, D.C. Let the big boys handle this now. And hopefully we can actually be a little productive and get something done. We'll do more of this when we come back here. It's a Monday. It's The Voice of Reason. we got a lot to talk about here on the show. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: Bring some reason into your day. This Is the voice of reason
0: with Andy Hoosier? Darn right, it is welcome back into the program. 24 minutes past the hour, radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. We have the Democrats, their first big test for McCarthy and the Republicans. I know that we don't have the majority yet. I know we don't. I know we can't really do anything until January. So the Democrats. This is how delusional they are. They don't care how unpopular their agenda is, which is why they lost the House of Representatives. It was a close race in the Senate, and they didn't kind of re energized them a little bit. In fact, they re energized them a lot. (laughs) They've they've shifted gears quite a bit going into the summer and the fall time as they thought they were going to see this red tsunami and lose devastatingly. They were all saying that no one was going to support Joe Biden in running for re-election in uh, 2024 for the presidency. Then, of course, the rumor about Donald Trump had Joe Biden up on his knee. and said, well, if he runs it, I'm going to run again, too, because I'm going to kick his butt. Whatever. Okay, cool. But now, after the Democrats didn't do as badly as what was anticipated, the latest report shows from the Hill that 71% of Democrats say that Joe Biden could win the re-election if he ran again in 2024. What a drastic change, man. We have Democrats left and right over the last few months that have said off the record that, no, we're not going to let Joe Biden run again. No, there's no way that we can let him run. He is nuts. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's absolutely crazy. Are you feeling all right, buddy? Feeling good? I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. And yet, now 71% of Democrats say in the national poll that Joe Biden could win re-election. Now, whether they want him to or not may be a different story, but they say that he could. Meaning if Donald Trump is the nominee for the Republicans, they're going to try and put him up and repeat what happened in 2020 all over again. Even after The incidences of, you know, shaking hands with the Easter Bunny and talking to people that aren't actually there, shaking someone's hand, forgetting he shook their hand, and then trying to shake their hand all over again. The gaps go on and on and on. The Democrat policies are failing, although they feel re-energized after not getting their you-know-what kicked as badly as what was anticipated this last election. And because of that re-energizing, or whether they were re-energized or not, Democrats, realize the game that needs to be played in Washington, D.C., which is ram through everything you possibly can, even if it's the most unpopular agenda out there. Ram it through because then it doesn't go away. And then when we regain the majority again because the other side gets frustrated enough and then we get back in power down the road, whether it's two years, whether it's four years, whenever it happens, we'll be back in power again. And then we can start at a brand new starting line instead of having to redo everything that we did. Republicans don't get that. Republicans, well, we don't want to upset the voter base. Well, we don't want to try and push the envelope too terribly far. Well, we just want to kind of play nice right here. We don't want to go too far here and look like we're crazies. Well, the Democrats, hey, we don't care. We're going to ram through everything we can. The latest one is with this uh, DACA issue with the Dreamers Act that they're trying to ram through because they don't want the Supreme Court to reverse it at the federal level. So now, Republicans, it's up to you. Are you going to stand strong as you're about ready to take the majority? And we're starting to put our trust in you again as Republicans. Are you willing to stand strong and fight against us? Now, there's not much you can do because you're not in the majority, but... You can do what you can. And don't let it slide through behind the scenes just because you're scared. So that way you can vote. I voted no against it on the floor. What would you do in the committees? And right now there's not a, rep- a lot of Republicans that actually have committee leadership positions at all in the House of Representatives. While now the Democrats are playing victim because, oh, you're kicking me off our, our committee. How dare you? We were doing so many good things. <laughs> It's actually quite funny to watch. So the Democrats now trying to find their new identity, which we thought there would be a bit of a shift in the party leadership, obviously with Nancy Pelosi stepping away last week and trying to find some younger blood to come up and hold that mantle and carry the torch of liberalism and progressivism in the party. Uh, Now that's not quite the case. The identity uh, crisis continues for the Democrats with the majority saying that Joe Biden could potentially be that nominee again. Imagine If we go into 2024 with a uh, just a repeat of 2020 with Joe Biden and Donald Trump again, how many people is that going to turn off and not show up to actually go and vote? I'm sure Democrats, again, will be unexcited about it and Republicans will be overly excited about it. And then who knows what could happen if we continue down that road. When we come back, we'll talk with Alec Lee Schulk. He'll be joining us here on the program on The Voice of Reason for Monday. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with
0: Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Monday, holiday week Monday, going into Thanksgiving. Are you ready for Turkey Day? I know I am. I have been practicing on expanding the belly in order to enjoy as much as I possibly can Thursday and throughout the weekend. The nice thing is, is that you have Turkey Day, which is great. The best part about it is that you had turkey enchiladas for like a week afterwards. And to me, that's uh, right there, baby. Welcome back into the program last to get to today. I want to shift gears a little bit as we talk about the midterms, the shifting of power at the federal level. We've talked about Kevin McCarthy uh, potentially becoming Speaker of the House, the Democrat agenda. They are ramming down our throats for this last couple of months and what they're going to do to put pressure on McCarthy. But what are we doing at the state levels? Obviously, the majority of the power is or at least should be still at the statewide levels. And while we had a bit of a transition of power in many of the legislative seats at statewide levels plus the different agenda issues as well how do we look across the nation as we look at individual states we're going to do that with our what's trending of the day what's trending today and really happy to have on the program i love this organization i've been a big fan of these guys for years and years the american legislative exchange council or alec very controversial for some on the other side of the aisle but i'm happy to have on the program with us here he is the vice president of policy for alec mr lee shulk lee how are you my friend
2: Andy, great to be with you, and greetings from the nation's capital here in Washington, D.C.
0: Hey, well, it is great to have you on the program. It's it's an honor to talk to you. What an election we just came down from, and apparently the election season's not over since we don't have some confirmed, and we have presidential announcements already two years out before the next one, so uh, no no rest for the weary, I guess, right? But... How did we do, how did we fare at the statewide elections candidate-wise before we get into some issues here? I know Missouri lost its Republican majority in one of its chambers, at least in their legislature. Michigan went kind of blue, but uh, I know there's still some issues going on in Arizona. But what's your take overall on how states did with their elections this year?
2: Well, you're right. It was uh, a disappointing result in Michigan in particular with, I would say, a blue wave there. But one of the interesting stories, you know, a lot of people said, hey, in the states, the midterms overall, it was a bit of a red ripple. You know, they said the red wave may have stopped in Florida where Governor DeSantis cruised to victory. But there's actually another story that I think is really important to tell, and that is that every single conservative governor who is running for re-election easily won in the midterms. And not only did they win, They won by overwhelming margins in most cases. Of course, we know Kevin Stitt there in Oklahoma, Greg Abbott in Texas, they won by double digits. But you can look at governors on down the line. Christy Nome in South Dakota, she won by 23 points more than she did in 2018. And I could go down the list here, but I think you can really chalk a lot of that up to things like how these governors responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdowns. And there are a lot of other policy implications that we can unpack here tonight.
0: Yeah, I agree. As well, many people were frustrated and upset with the election results nationwide. Overall, it wasn't a bad night for Republicans. I think the uh, the steam got kind of taken away when we didn't win all of these Senate races by, you know, double digits. We didn't have this 40 you know person majority in the House of Representatives kind of thing. And we did lose some in like Michigan that was devastating. We did kind of t- still have the weirdness down in Arizona with Carrie Lake in the governor's race there. But you're right. Overall, though, it still was a pretty decent night for Republicans, especially in these red states.
2: Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the political map right now, the the profiles of state legislatures, Republicans still control the majority of states. Uh, Right now, 27 states, both houses in the state legislature are controlled by Republicans. And the governors, you know, Democrats were able to flip three uh, governor's mansion seats, while Republicans flipped one in Nevada. But still, Republicans have a slim majority in terms of the number of governors. And You know, getting back to just these huge margins of victory, Idaho, Tennessee, New Hampshire, Georgia, Texas, Iowa, on down the line, these governors really cruised to re-election. And, you know, a lot of these states also set a really good example when it comes to economic policies. I mean, just this year, uh, three of those governors, Brad Little in Idaho, Brian Kemp in Georgia, and Kim Reynolds in Iowa, They signed into law flat taxes. So these were states that had progressive income tax structures. And just this year, they decided to move to a flat tax. And I think that paid dividends for them in the midterms. Of course, when you flatten your income tax, you lower income taxes. It creates a lot more growth and opportunity for your state.
0: That's an amazing opportunity. I was not aware that they were pushing those. So it's good to see many states getting on board. There's been a large discussion for years regarding going to a flat tax, going to a fair tax, and getting rid of it altogether except for sales tax. Uh, so the fact that we're even discussing these issues, maybe enough states can get on board and we can force the federal government to do the same thing.
2: Well, that's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it, make sure that you can do your taxes on the back of a postcard and get back to that that Steve Forbes flat tax revolution but, you know, a lot of these states where these governors won easily, they've also got policies on the book like right to work. Um, you know, they're also defending the right to parents to have more of a say or the, the, the biggest say in their child's education, putting parents in charge. And then also um, when we get back to the, the lockdowns during COVID-19, you know, these were the governors that said, hey, maybe we we initially locked down. That might have been a mistake. But our economies, we're going to open them back up, and we're not going to use the government to take away people's livelihoods. That actually had a huge impact of migration, where taxpayers, really at the height of the pandemic, they left states like California, New York, New Jersey, these lockdown states in search of greener pastures. And where did they go? They went to states that were open for business, like Florida, even South Dakota. You know, we, we joke about California. They've got the best weather. Of course, everyone would want to move there. Well, that's not true. They lost in California 200,000 people between June 2020 and June 2021 at the height of the pandemic. And even places like South Dakota are growing. And I can guarantee you people do not move to South Dakota for the weather. But South Dakota, they don't tax income and they didn't lock down. And that sends a strong message that if you're seeking opportunity, This is the place
0: to be. California and New York, two of the biggest states where we saw the most amount of population leave the states. And like you just mentioned, due to taxes, due to COVID regulations, due to the mandates and the policies, it's fun to watch the red states gain these populations. I just wish they would stop voting the same way when they get to these states and end up changing it into a purple state overall. Let's go to state of let my state here. Let's start off here with Kansas, where I'm based out of with our flagship station. We had two major races, not only the governor's race where our Republican Attorney General Derek Schmidt lost the governor's race by about a point and a half to our Democrat incumbent. A really close race. We can discuss that one at later lengths later. But there was also a question on our ballot that was trying to bring a little bit of transparency to the executive branch by allowing the legislature to vote to override an executive order and at least be able to call out the governor or the fourth branch of government with those bureaucracies if we thought they were crossing the line. I think that bill came a lot because of COVID and how our Department of Health and Human Services uh, and our governor ended up locking the state down during COVID, and we want to make sure that they don't have the sole power to do that again. Unfortunately, it lost by less than a percentage of a point in our state. But how many other states do this, and do you think that we have another shot at it?
2: Well, you, you definitely should take another crack at it, and that, that was a disappointing result because, to your point, I think you summed it up nicely, those executive agencies, those unelected bureaucrats, they really do become that fourth branch of government, and they're completely unelected and out of control. And you know, I think with this question, that as you pointed out, it just barely, barely failed this is something that when you empower the legislature to have the ability to cut through a lot of this unnecessary red tape, that actually goes a long way to empower job creators, citizens. And, you know, overall, there's been studies done, the more red tape that you layer on, the more poor your citizens can become. It actually leads to an increase in poverty rates, the more regulations and red tape you layer on. And so that was a disappointing result. There were some other really interesting ballot measure results across the country. You know, even in, uh, in California, we've talked a little bit about California as they become a a bit of a punching bag. You know, they had a measure that would take their top income tax rate from over 13% all the way up to past 15%. And this was one where I guess Californians said enough is enough. And they actually voted that down overwhelmingly. So, You know, as we look across the board, there were some really interesting ballot measures. Massachusetts now, on the other hand, they actually approved a tax on millionaires. So they they previously had a flat tax. Now they'll go to a top rate of 9% for millionaires. Um, But across the board, there were a lot of really interesting ballot measure results that were a mixed bag. But I think you're exactly right about Kansas. That one was a bit of a letdown. I would say bring it back in the future and try again.
0: Yeah, we need to. It is nice to hear, though, that California actually shot down a major tax like that to put it at one of the highest rates across the country, which would be just insane. But, you know, of course, the millionaires who say that they want to pay their fair share, I'm sure they're the ones that voted against it because because once they hit that level, they realize it's still expensive to live in California, and they don't want that much going out as well. Uh, we're talking with Lee Schalk with American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, which you can find at alec.org. Lee, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Of course. Awesome. I love it. I want to continue this conversation with some of the uh, bills that happen throughout the midterms in different states. Also, I know you guys have your big event coming up next week where all these states gather in Washington, D.C. and talk about some of this policy and what you guys are working on. And we'd love to hear some more about that one as well. So we got a lot to talk about. Again, ALEC.org with Lee Schalk, the Vice President of Policy for Alec. We'll do all that and more when we come back. Plus, the issues, I want to get the latest update out of Arizona, the Attorney General's Office saying that they're investigating the shenanigans in Maricopa County in Arizona. What the heck's going on there? Carrie Lake still says that she's got a chance to battle this thing and shift that result. Is that true? We'll see when we come back. All that and more coming up for a Monday here on The Voice of Reason. Stay right here.
1: The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
0: Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Reason, common sense, rationale, whatever you want to look at. That's what we try to promote here on this show, which is desperately needed in society today. Welcome back in. It is The Voice of Reason. We're talking with Lee Schulk with the ALEC, O R G, the American Legislative Exchange Councils. We look at different states around the nation, recapping midterms and looking at what's to come here in the future. Real quickly. Lee, as we kind of talk about some of these, I, we're reading, of course, the big news now of the ongoing battle between the rail workers, the union workers, this potential strike that could shut down half of production and distribution across the nation for because the 25% increase in wages apparently just isn't enough. So by golly, we need to strike and we need to stop and halt all production. I know Illinois was uh, voting on the right to work issues. We have the National, national Right to Work Committee uh, on the program pretty frequently talking about that issue. What is it? With the obsession of forcing people into unions and not giving people a choice to decide whether they actually want to or actually represent themselves when they go to work on a day-to-day basis, I don't understand that mentality.
2: Well, you're right. It's it's completely backwards. And the whole concept of worker freedom is actually embraced by states like Tennessee, where on a, a ballot measure in the midterms, voters by a two-to-one margin approved right to work, uh, rather enshrining right to work in their state constitution. Tennessee has long been a right to work state. And then, as you mentioned, Illinois really taking the opposite approach with putting the right to collective bargaining in their state constitution. But, you know, it really comes down to should workers uh, be forced to pay or be a member of a union as a condition of employment and you know, I, I think we would say that workers should have freedom to choose. Uh, I don't think that's, that's too difficult of a concept, but apparently for many, uh, especially on the left, this has really become a political tool to extract money that's, you know, so often used for political purposes. And we see unions flexing that muscle, even in the midterms. Um, teachers unions come to mind, uh, being big proponents of pushing that millionaire's tax, in massachusetts that we discussed before the break uh and so i would say when you see any of these national labor unions or teachers unions uh pushing a, a cause i would you know take a close look because they're usually up to no good
0: yeah probably and now union representation and union membership has actually been decreasing over the last few years hasn't it for what i've seen is that less and less people are trying to push the whole union thing but it seems to be kind of regaining some new momentum over the last i don't know few months or years or so
2: Yeah. And of course, we've got a very pro-union president in Joe Biden right now in the White House. But you're right. uh, Unions have been losing membership. And I think they're getting a little bit desperate trying to claw and hang on to that power. But we have seen more states in recent years adopt right to work policies. And that's a huge boon for for a state economy, just to say, hey, we're open for business. Uh, When you see these companies packing up and leaving states like illinois you know caterpillar recently left illinois and you've got companies like chevron leaving california they're headed to right to work states every single time and so i just think that is that is vital for a state economy uh to have those worker freedom laws on the book
0: yeah amen to that lee we got a couple minutes left here as we kind of wrap up but talk about it. you guys have a big event coming up next week where i know you'll be uh, convening in dc there but uh what's on the agenda what are you guys going to focus on this year
2: Well, you're right. It's going to be a really great meeting here in D.C. We'll have legislators from across the country. And, you know, we're going to be looking ahead to 2023 at ALEC. We're all about policy solutions. And the beauty in our meetings is that there's so many good things happening in the states and legislators are able to learn from each other, share ideas, best practices. But I got to tell you, I think one of the big ones is this education opportunity movement that really uh, is is taking over uh, at the state level right now. Arizona just passed a universal education savings account program. West Virginia recently did uh, a very similar program called the HOPE Scholarship. And then we're also looking at everything from uh, energy policy, um, criminal justice, how do we respond to this this rising crime uh, in America right now, but also How can states continue to control their own taxes and spending? Of course, Washington, D.C. is responsible for this record inflation and rising energy prices that we've been dealing with. So we're going to share solutions on how can states get their own fiscal house in order and make sure that people are able to keep more of their hard-earned paychecks, make a living and really live out that American dream.
0: That's what it's all about. I love it. Federalism isn't dead, my friend. We can still bring the power back to the states and make our own decisions at the statewide level, which is what it's all about. Check them out. A-L-E-C It's Alec Lee Schultz, the Vice President of Policy. Lee, it's great to have you on the program, my friend. we got to get you back on again soon.
2: Would love to do that. Thanks for having me, Andy.
0: Hey, always a pleasure. All right, podcast up in just a little bit. That does it for us today. Back at it again tomorrow, getting closer to that Thanksgiving day. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.